Welcome, everybody, to the Monthly Movie Dispatch. We get together every month and talk about what movies we've seen, what we recommend, and what to avoid. What separates us from the other 100,000 movie-related shows is that we're high school friends. We've been discussing movies for 12, 13, 14 years, and we love just talking film. We'd be doing it even if no one was watching. Um, I'm Nick Moffitt. I'm here in Marysville, Washington, uh, where we grew up, and we've got... Uh, Derek, what's your deal in Everett? What's going on, Derek? Not much. Just hanging out. We got uh, Brandon Bowlby in New York City. How's it going? And we've got Sean Bowlby in Seattle, Washington. Hey, hey there. New, new condo, yeah, Sean? Yeah, you can. You guys can't see it right now, but uh, the, the viewers can. It looks great from my vantage point. Nice. Um, I got a couple warm-up questions for you guys. Uh, just two today, but they're toughies. Um, uh, um, this one's kind of out of the blue, but I'm curious. I was thinking about this over the last uh, month. Uh, what is the best Lord of the Rings movie? Um, Fellowship. Yeah, I think Fellowship. Used to say Return of the King, but over time, I do think more fondly of Fellowship. Now, would you guys say yeah. that that's also your favorite, or uh, is that is that um, the, is that the exact same? I think it's my favorite. It is my favorite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's just the most concise, and I think just flows a lot better, or maybe not a lot better, but it definitely flows better than the other ones. And um, yeah, we don't even need to talk about the Hobbit movies. <laughs> I'm not talking about the Hobbit movies, but um, I specifically said Lord of the Rings. And uh, see, for me, um, I love the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, I think it might be the best because of the concise nature of it. But I think for the uh, favorite category, I think the Two Towers extended edition might be my favorite because because of how much time they spend walking and how not concise it is. I will say that I think the extended two towers is the best improvement of all the extended. Yeah, I remember having those discussions in high school. Yeah. Definitely the best of the extendeds for improvement wise. I've never seen the extended Return of the King. Oh, well, aren't they all on? Uh, are they all on right now? You weren't at our uh, no, Lord of the Rings trilogy right. extended party that lasted fifteen hours, Derek. Well, no, I went to when we went to the Cinerama, but remember oh, yeah. they didn't have. But remember they didn't have the extended mm, third one. That's right. Yeah, they didn't have the film. Kind yeah. Of that. Yep. Okay. I'm pretty sure me and Sean saw uh, Lord of the Rings in a movie theater in Olympia, and they had oh. the Fellowship and Return of the King normal versions and the extended <laughs> edition of the two towers. Yeah, such a uh-huh. weird combination. And it was freezing. It was the coldest <laughs> night of my life. Um, in the theater it was freezing? Yeah. In the theater. Dude, Derek, like it, was like the, it was like the time we went to that Stanwood Theater. Stanwood Theater. Uh-huh. It felt like they had the AC just cranked <laughs> on a freezing no winter. cold winter night. That's <laughs> awesome. Nick I actually left in the for the two towers and got a bunch of blankets and brought them back, <laughs> I think. Okay, so next question. We're warming up. Uh, this one's related to uh, another thing we're going to be talking about later in the episode, but what do you guys think is your favorite and or best Scorsese film? Hmm. 
mean Goodfellas. I'll go with the boring answer first. Goodfellas. I think Taxi Driver for me. I think, yeah, like I, I haven't rewatched much Scorsese since high school, college, but I would go with what Sean said, Goodfellas. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Goodfellas is probably uh, probably up there. I think it's his number one. But, um, man, Taxi Driver and Raging mm. Bull are also really great. Yeah, Raging Bull is also very much up there. That might be my number two. Um, yeah, so uh, later on we'll be talking about Scorsese. And uh, in Sean's pick, he had chosen one of Scorsese's films. So we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around to Scorsese. Um, but first, um, I wanted to... Um, check in with you guys and see if you have watched any movies from 2020. So Sean, have you seen any movies from 2020 in the last six weeks? No. (laughs) Okay. Um, This is fair. (laughs) I just, I'm just asking because this is a real conversation because no judgment. This is why we are doing, um, we've all Uh picked a movie to talk about this month. Um, because yeah. uh, movie theaters are done. There's nothing coming out right now. There's absolutely no um, nothing happened in the theaters, which means that there aren't any like really big movies coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a bunch of indies that are coming out, and but you have to kind of seek them out. And I think yeah. they also vary in quality. So there haven't been really that many indies that have been like everyone's got to rally around and see this one. It's it's like I mean. It's just kind of a, it's a different world we're living in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, mean to- and I haven't seeked out any new movies, but I've just really been enjoying going back and watching a, older movies and kind of going through my shame list. And uh, yeah, it's been, I've actually been watching a lot of movies in comparison to previous years. <clears throat> nice. You have a shame list? Uh, just like that, the list of movies that's been on my Netflix queue for a decade, <laughs> like, uh, gone with the wind and, uh, RoboCop and, uh, mm. I rewatched all the president's men and I don't know, a bunch of other movies. Cool. Dust uh, boot. Uh, Brandon. Have you seen yeah. any movies from 2020 in the last six weeks? Um, not many. I think well, I definitely saw um, Extraction on Netflix. Pretty big blockbustery type film. Um, I had a blast with it. I don't know if you guys saw it at all. Yeah, Is that I saw the it. Uh, Chris Hemsworth movie? Yeah, that's the big Chris Hemsworth bombastic action film. Um, a lot of really creative like choreography and some cinematography in there. That's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I liked nice. it a lot. I think you, you gave it higher stars than I did, Brandon. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess it just like ended on such a bad note. It left a sour yeah. taste in my mouth, but there's so much to like. There's a good chunk that's like really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Um, Eyes and Derek, lows. does... Derek, does that uh, answer your question too? Or have you seen any other movies from 2020 in the last six weeks? Uh, yeah, I saw Extraction, uh, Onward, 
Um, oh, onward. Yeah. Which was kind of, I don't know, <laughs> very middle ground Pixar, I felt like. Um, I still feel like middle ground Pixar is better than most other animated. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's solid through and through, but it just never takes that step up. Like I just watched, me and Phoenix watched Finding Dory like over the weekend. And I feel like that's, I don't know, that, that movie like blew me away. I was not expecting it to be as good as it was. I need I Dory. Have, yeah. Nemo. Dory. Oh yeah, I love Finding Dory too. Yeah. More than most people. I almost thought it was better than Nemo, but it's been a really long time since I've seen Nemo, so it's kind of hard to I have compare. An, but. I have an onward story that happened recently. Yeah. Yeah. So the other day, I walked in on Kelly um, Skyping with her family, and her mom had turned the her computer towards the TV as they were watching onward so kelly was watching onward on her phone <laughs> with, from her mom pointing the oh, no. what? camera at the tv <laughs> no oh, mm-hmm. i've never heard anything like <laughs> why not just turn it on the tv and then be on skype on the phone it's free <laughs> in her defense she she was trying to work and her mom just kind of did that oh okay <laughs> and uh, but but yeah, it's funny. Apparently, there are add-ons and extensions that make it very easy for people to have like viewing parties. Mm-hmm. Like, there's one specifically for Netflix where you could um, set it up so that it's easy for all of your friends to join and watch yeah. a movie together um, yeah. during this coronavirus time. Like Twitch, Twitch does one as well. Twitch yeah, viewing party. Or I think it's with Amazon. Yeah. Oh, but I also went to, I watched uh, Bad Education on HBO, the Hugh Jackman oh, movie. Yeah. How was that? It was really good. Oh, cool. Really solid. Um, you know, it's just kind of a, I don't know what you call it. It's not really a biopic, but it's all based on about a, a real event that happened in like a school district in New York. And so it's just, it's a, yeah, it's just a fascinating movie, and Hugh Jackman's really, really amazing in it, and Allison Janney is in it. She's really good. Um, it's just kind of like a very simple movie, but it's just like executed really perfectly. Um, so does, does it still have that thoroughbreds like really great visual style? Uh, it's not as it's definitely there for sure. Like you can feel that this director's got like an eye for like making things just look good, and like there's that. You know, just the way he edits and stuff, it's just a little, it's flashier than what you'd expect from a movie about, like, a school board. It just kind of mm-hmm. takes that extra step to make it look cool all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, probably not as noticeable. But um, And then also, I just watched The Willoughbys on Netflix, which is uh, some, it's just like a children's animated movie. Me and Phoenix watched that, and it was also pretty, pretty good. Cool. Yeah, I uh, I haven't heard of the Willoughbys, but yeah, I've I've been wanting to watch Bad Education. I just don't have HBO, so uh, yeah. I'm glad you're able to watch it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been. I was on the last episode, so um, uh, I have you know I could report um how my 2020 has been going. Um, I've still been trying to watch new movies pretty hard. Like I have a goal every year to hit 100 
100 movies, 100 new movies of that year every year. And so I kind of have to keep on a pace of it. And I've been seeking out um, some indies and stuff that have been you know, maybe a little under the radar and stuff. But um, I want to tell you guys, I did just watch this movie on Amazon Prime that I think you guys should watch. Mm. It's called The Vast of Night. Yes. And it's been hearing from so much first- about this movie. Yeah, it's from a first-time filmmaker, and um, I think, you know, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I think it shows, like, a lot of promise for, like, a first-time filmmaker, and there's there's a lot of intrigue, there's some really cool, like, unexpected cinematography, and um, the mystery is, like, it's pretty neat, and it, it's spooky, too, like, it, like the vibes get you. Um, also, also, the Beastie Boys documentary that is on Apple TV is pretty awesome, but, you know, I love the Beastie Boys. Um, one other pretty cool thing that I did, um, was that South by Southwest, you know, they, they canceled their festival this year and they put, um, they kind of worked with Amazon to put some of their films on Amazon. A lot of the filmmakers didn't want to join because they didn't want, you know, to give away their work for total for free, um, which is understandable. But, um, so the selection was a lot smaller than the actual festival. But, uh, so I ended up watching three movies off of there and, um, the, all three of them were pretty interesting in their own ways. Um, one of them was called Selfie, and it was a French film, and it was like a satire about technology and how people use technology. And it was legitimately like really funny. Like there were, a, you know, the when you have like there was a bunch of different short stories basically, and you know, whenever you have that kind of thing, some of them vary in quality, but um, there was there was one where there was this guy who was using an algorithm on a website to buy everything that they suggested because he felt like the algorithm really knew him, but then it started suggesting some weird stuff and he started like questioning his identity and it was, it was very (laughs) funny. And, um, watched another one called cat in the wall that was, um, covered a lot of like gentrification issues. And, um, and then I watched another one called, uh, TFW No GF, which um, is it was a documentary about like uh, like groups of people online who um, like it's like TW TFW No GF is a term online uh, for like you know guys who like don't have have never had girlfriends and I don't know it kind of it kind of dives into this group of people online who are very easy to hate. Um, but they kind of show the personality side of who they are. And, uh, it's kind of eye opening in a lot of ways. Cause it was kind of just a, it's kind of just like a raw straightforward documentary. And, um, anyway, um, I'm sure those will be available. They're probably not available right now, but I thought all three of those were like pretty interesting movies. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just want to say that I do think there are some quality indies that have been coming out. Um, I have like a watch list that I've been kind of working through and just still just trying to be up on 2020 movies. I've seen 36 so far this year. So, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it just, it's just kind of interesting this time where there's, um, you know, there aren't new movies, but that doesn't mean there's no movies and it's kind of an opportunity to support some smaller filmmakers and stuff. So, um, that being said, um, I, uh, before we dig into our, um, our four movie choices that we picked, which I'm really excited about, I just wanted to, um, address some stuff that's going on in the world, you know, the, um, I kind of, uh, wrote something over here and I just kind of want to read it, um, 
I just want to take some time at the monthly movie dispatch to uh, make a statement about the current racial unrest in the country. Um, just like everyone, we saw the footage of George Floyd being killed by a police officer in Minnesota. This came after three other events of racial injustice made by that made mainstream news. We saw Ahmed Adbury killed by vigilante citizens while exercising. Breonna Taylor killed by police in a mistaken raid of her house. And then there was the woman who called the police on a black man in Central Park after he told her to put a dog on his leech. And, you know, we saw her uh, do the exaggerated voice where she said she was in danger. And, um, you know, people make mistakes. And, but um, it certainly felt like she knew what she was doing in that moment. And um, I felt like George Floyd's death was like a very eye-opening and real example of the worst case scenario that um, can happen in this country relating to that. You know, there's a lot to be upset about and distraught and sad. It's, it's a really hard time and it's a really hard time. Um, and, you know, it's not my place to condemn or condone uh, the riots, but I, I appreciate people standing up for what they believe in and fighting for change. Um, I don't want to get too much into my own political beliefs, but I think in this time it is important to edu educate yourself and, uh, and to live with empathy. So uh, because movies are empathy machines, uh, we thought it would be worthwhile uh, to uh, recommend some uh, Black Lives Matter movies. Um, so I, I put together a list and I think these, I think if I left movies off the list, you guys will say some after, um, I read off mine, but my number one is do the right thing. You know, I suggested to, we watched it earlier this year as a group, but, um, Spike Lee movie came out in 1989 and it's incredibly relevant for today. Like it's pretty on the nose. Like yeah, exactly what's going on. Exactly. Pretty much. So I think, I think everyone should watch do the right thing right now, but, um, Blind Spotting came out in 2018 uh, about these two friends in Oakland. Um, that's available uh, on HBO or DirecTV. Uh, Selma uh, about the the marches on Selma, Alabama, as during the Civil Rights Movement, um, while they were trying to they're protesting uh, voter suppression, and uh, it's it's also really powerful and well done. Uh, Fruitvale Station came out in 2013, directed by Ryan Coogler, starring Michael B. Jordan. Um, it's about a, a kid who is killed by police in custody at a subway station in uh, California. Um, that's available for free on uh, 2B TV and the Roku channel if you have either of those, but you can also rent it on Amazon or Apple or Vudu. Uh, Boys in the Hood, I think, is a really powerful movie. came out in 1991, directed by John Singleton. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Cuba Gooding Jr., and Ice Cube, and it's um, a lot about like gang life in South Central LA, but um, also just the systematic racial inequalities that um, exist and the culture of uh, violence that happens. Um, Twelve Years a Slave is another extremely powerful movie uh, directed by Steve McQueen. Um, just. Uh, about a guy who uh, who was living free in upstate New York, and then he was uh, abducted and uh, brought into slavery, and it's really a firsthand view of the the gruesome reality that was slavery, and uh, you know, big uh, 
big thing in American history. Um, Black Klansman came out in 2018, another Spike Lee movie. Um, it's, uh, we, we talked about this on the podcast a few years back, but um, I think Spike Lee does a great job at uh, looking back at the 1970s and connecting it to uh, to today. You know, part of Part of, I don't know, uh, just real quick, I'm going to pause the list real quick just to say, like, I tried to not put too many uh, civil rights movies or, like, historical, like, slavery movies. I wanted to put a few on there, but I tried to uh, keep it contemporary as much, you know, as much as I could. It is important to know the history, but it also is important to remember that uh, this is, like, this is still happening today. I feel like sometimes with civil rights movies, they, uh, there's there's like a subliminal subtext that, Oh, that happened in the past. You know, we beat racism and you know, it's still going on today. And, uh, so I wanted to pick movies that, um, could tie that together or tell stories that maybe you hadn't heard. Um, so go, keep continuing on with the list. I just have a few more, uh, get on the mm-hmm. bus. Uh, came out in 1996. It's another Spike Lee movie. I know three Spike Lee movies on here, but he's <laughs> he's like the best. And of all your um, rules, you didn't put Spike Lee. Only get to pick one different per director. Dude, it's too hard with Spike Lee. I almost put another one on there too. Honestly, <laughs> um, but his this is a pretty interesting movie. I just watched it for the first time. It's about. Um, these guys who took a bus trip from L.A. to Washington, D.C. for the Million Man March uh, in 1995. And um, they're all different. They all come from different backgrounds. And it's basically just like them talking. Like it's just one of those pure dialogue movies where they're talking about their different backgrounds and where they came from and their philosophies and religion choices and that type of stuff. But it's really interesting. And that's on Netflix right now. Uh, 13th is a documentary by uh, Ava Dufresne. And uh, it talks about the Thirteenth Amendment and how sl- and how they abolished slavery, but still, like private prisons can profit off of um, uh, black inmates, and um, kind of explores uh, systematic um, oppression. And that's also available on Netflix. And um, Just Mercy, I put at number ten. And I didn't, I didn't love Just Mercy. I didn't think it was like the best movie, but I did think that I like. I read the book, and the book is amazing. And it's about this guy Brian Stevenson, who opens up a law firm in Alabama to defend uh, disenfranchised uh, and wrongfully accused um, people in uh, on death row, typically. And um, he is still doing a lot of work today. And so I just it's it's worth it to be aware of who Brian Stevenson is because he's doing a lot of great work. And uh, that's currently for, that's currently free on Amazon and Apple and Voodoo and stuff like he uh, the Warner put that out for free. So those are my ten, 10 movies that I put on this list. And uh, that's on Letterboxd. And you guys can um, if you want to look up my profile, it's it's on there. But um, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Do you have any other suggestions? couple that popped in my head um though they are a little bit historic but kind of like in different time periods um love i think is a really mm-hmm. really great film uh came out in, wait is that the name of the movie just a couple loving? i think it's called loving loving yeah. yeah yeah loving it's a really great film um it's about kind of like the aclu and what it did to marry the first interracial couple in the virginia area um, and also another big one, Mudbound, which is streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I think that was on Sean's top ten list. That's a really, really yeah. amazing film. A really very movie. unique time period uh, to focus on. Mm-hmm. One that I would add to that list is uh, 
um, OJ Made in America. Uh, I know there's some debate about whether that's whether or not that's an, a movie or a miniseries. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think <clears throat> there, there's something really interesting about um, how that movie takes a you know a subject that is seemingly doesn't have anything to do with racism or, um, or you know any social issues in America which is football and this this guy OJ Simpson one of the great football players but it it takes a really interesting view from that perspective of how you know both football and OJ uh, the role that they played in um, you know the progression of racism in in uh, America and how it's it changed throughout the years and also how racism um, and uh, has had affected his career and his life and his, the, that trial and um, Los Angeles. So yeah, as a it's whole. A, yeah. yeah Los Angeles as a whole. So it's a, it's a really interesting movie that um, I think is it has a. I mean, obviously, it has a whole lot to say about racism and in society. Yeah, I agree, Sean, completely. Except. I don't think it's a movie that's I didn't put on there, but um, okay. I agree completely that it's extremely powerful. It's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. especially for like a sports fan, um, they tie together um, his career with uh, with America and then like the murder happens and his celebrity status happens. And um, mm-hmm. it also like parallels America in a lot of ways you wouldn't expect. Um, yeah. <clears throat> very poor sure. So yeah, very um, well said, Nick. No Detroit, Sean. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I really liked Detroit and actually that is, you know, I guess if, if we're talking about riots and things that are going on right now, that, that is a fairly relevant, uh, movie, but <clears throat> Nick said the two other, uh, already said the two other movies that I had higher on that list. So I, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting time to be in. And I know like there's a lot of like mixed feelings about like, you know, people rioting and stuff and a lot of fear that goes with that. But I mean, I think everyone is like pretty disgusted about police brutality with George Floyd and, um, you know, uh, I I went out this weekend and uh, I didn't go to the protests because I'm still pretty afraid of COVID-19. But I went over by uh, our church and just like held um, our old church and held uh, Black Lives Matter signs, just kind of like hung out. And I was only with one other person and we just held the signs to see like, you know, just to show our support and spread some love and um in a non-threatening way for the Marysville community type thing. And mm-hmm. we definitely uh, got mostly positive responses. People like waving, honking and, you know, giving us thumbs up and stuff. And you definitely got a few uh, middle fingers here and there. And uh, hmm. I definitely, there was definitely one guy who, wrote, who actually like parked next to us. And he like was asking how many people were coming because he was worried that we were going to go to start riots. Um, <laughs> just, just riots two of us, you know, we're not, we're not doing anything. We're just spreading love, you know? Um, but the, I think the most powerful thing that happened was that there was a, you know, there was a black guy who was running, exercising. And he went across, he was on the other side of the street and he smiled and waved at us. And then on his way back, he stopped and he just thanked us for being out there. And, um, you know, he said, he said, uh, 
you never know how close to home it's going to hit. Um, they closed all the gyms. So I started mm. running every day and then the footage of Amon Asbury came out and, um, mm. he realized it could happen yeah. to him or anyone, anytime, anywhere. And it just like really kind of shook him and having us be out there was just kind of like a, it was just, just showing that there are people that do care in the community. And, um, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back for going out there or anything like that. I just like little ways of support, I think do go a long way. And, um, I think all of us could be more educated because I think the public school system kind of failed us in a lot of ways with, uh, with, um, African American history. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just, uh, I think movies are a great way to, uh, to learn stuff, you know, even if they like change, you know, you can't always like say, Oh, that's fact, but you can, uh, learn about stuff through movies. Mm -hmm. So, um, with that, you know, I didn't, uh, this is our, this is our fun movie show. So, uh, we have the privilege to, we have the privilege to move on. So, uh, we actually uh, are expecting uh, Cal, uh, who was filling in for me on the last episode, to call in. So um, I think he's going to call in now. Hey, Cal Shay, how's it going, man? It's going well. How are you all doing? Good. Doing well. Yeah, yeah doing real good. Uh, uh, you missed it, but we just were talking about uh, our top uh, Black Lives Matter movies. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah, just... Uh, yeah, we just list off a bunch of those. Do you have a? Do you have any off the top of your head? Any that you'd want to recommend? I know I'm putting. Uh, I mean, my go-to, this. my go-to is is like that I've been thinking about a lot these days is Selma. Uh, I really love that movie, and uh, and I say that as somebody who I, I know Nick knows that. Uh, I think basically, uh, you know, I think biopics have a higher average than normal of being terrible and uninteresting and so i think that one uh is 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 great in a lot of ways like as cinema and as a work of uh compassion and justice and uh yeah it's a great movie selma the one weirdly i've been thinking thinking about a lot even though i haven't seen it in a while is do the right thing like i've just been thinking about the phrase do the right thing over and over again so i think i'm probably gonna watch that one soon but i don't actually have anything interesting to say about it uh, nick cool. made us watch that earlier this year so yeah yeah it couldn't be a more relevant film to watch yeah <laughs> Um, yeah. so Cal, uh, your movie choice, uh, return to me. Um, I would for, real quick. I just want to say thank you for filling in for me, uh, last, last time. Uh, and I, I really loved the last episode. I had such a fun time listening to it. And, um, I, I especially loved your description of Moonstruck. Like just, uh, how you described the movie was just really, really fun for me. Um, and uh, I would, you know, I, I'm not going to ask if I could do that for you with Return to Me because I don't, I don't know, I don't have anything prepared or anything. And yeah, but um, I just, uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks. And Moonstruck was that was a really fun time hearing you guys talk about it. So um, yeah, and I, I'm re- I'm really I'm happy you're able to join for the discussion for Return to Me because I uh, I'm curious. Uh, I don't know. I just I'm curious how this is going to go. <laughs> uh yeah. I mean uh I think 
<laughs> it is funny. So I, I rewatched it today after not having seen it in like nine or ten years or something. Uh, <laughs> just you know, just to see what I thought of it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's funny. Like my description. What's funny to me a little bit about this movie is that the description of it and or like like the elevator pitch of this movie is crazy and also not this movie at all uh like the the pitch is like oh this this guy's zookeeper wife uh dies and their heart gets transplanted into somebody else and he's trying to build a new home for his best friend a giant monkey while he also falls in love with this woman who has his dead wife's heart and they psychically fall in love with each other. But that's like, that's like eight minutes out of the movie. Like it's not actually about that, like that relation, like, the, like the, the reveal, like to both of them is basically the end of the movie. And then they kind of deal with the fallout, but like, it's not even a normal, like rom-com where one has like a big secret or, uh, something like that. Like neither one of them know the entire movie. And it's just like, Mm-hmm. It's just a, a romance, which I didn't really remember. I kind of thought uh, that maybe she figured it out earlier than she did or something. Uh, but, like, all of that basically has nothing to do with the movie. And the the whole rest of the movie is just, I don't know, this very sincere character piece about, like, this, uh, mostly about this woman, but also all the other people in her life. Uh and then eventually it like dips back into being a rom-com towards the end. But, um, well, let me ask you real quick. Um, I like to, yeah. this is my first question for everyone. Uh, when, now that we're doing these four movie pick things, why, why did you pick this movie for us? Uh, I mean, I mostly picked it, uh, just because I remembered it being friendly and nice and like, <laughs> it seemed like we needed that. <laughs> A month ago, and uh, I stand by the need for friendly, nice things nowadays. Um, yeah. But it, it was mostly also was just a rom-com backlash to Nick's pick. Yeah, that, that was that was the <laughs> other thing was that since you made everyone watch a rom-com, I wanted to do the same slash make you watch a rom-com uh, because I know that they are are frequently not your favorite, and so uh, it was specific revenge against Nick, but revenge that I actually enjoy, <laughs> and I thought that you guys would probably enjoy more or less, too. <laughs> totally. Um, I, I really did enjoy this movie, and uh, I mean, you're right. Like it, it's, uh, I feel like the base concept of this movie is something that I typically shy away from, like mm-hmm. the concept of it being like, his wife died, which was extremely emotional. His, yeah. his wife died and then her heart was in this new lady's body and they psychically fall in love like that. <laughs> that's something where I like, you know, uh, I don't know if I buy into that, but totally. you know, I, I'm right there with you where that didn't seem like that was necessarily the, the plot of the movie at all. Like, you know, Minnie driver who by the way is a delight she yeah. just has mm-hmm. one of the all-time best smiles in the world. Um, she, uh, uh, you know, she was more concerned with like her scar than like you know the heart that was inside of her. Um, yeah. But I also really did like when uh, um, when they did find out. Like I felt like they all reacted in very real ways. Like David Duchovny was so just like 
awkward and like yeah. just flabbergasted and you didn't know what to do. It wasn't like a psychic, like, oh, we were meant to be because our hearts connect or anything like that. It was just like, a, uh, I have to go ride my bike away now. And <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, um, also, you know, the fact that you, I'm just, I'm realizing it now, like I wrote in my description of what I liked about this movie, like it wasn't just a backlash against, against Moonstruck being a rom-com. It was that Moonstruck was also very Italian. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Like return to me is very Irish. Yeah. But also moderately so. Italian. So, you know, there's still in uh, a place where you could get mm-hmm. on board. <laughs> I definitely felt that yeah. connection between those films. Yeah, me too. A lot of family stuff. Like, big totally. family. Like, yeah. yeah. I think at the end of the day, like, that's part, partly why I think it stuck in my head so much, like, as, like, just a good time is, uh, the, the, yeah, it is, it, it is this very sort of sincere and warm-hearted, like, it's basically just a drama about, like, a guy recovering from the death of his wife and this woman sort of dealing with the fact that, you know, she had this life changing surgery and dealing with like her, uh, issues surrounding it and like survivor's guilt and all this other stuff. But it's couched in this like kind of whimsical rom-com tone. Uh, but it, it, it does, it does kind of go the opposite way of Moonstruck where Moonstruck feels 100% bonkers all the time, but also, still remains relatable and this is like a pretty low-key movie that's that tacks on some bonkers rom-com stuff just to like like sell the movie i guess i don't i don't know like like i feel like there's a version of this movie that's just like 100 based on a true story these two people getting together you know but so i think my favorite part of the film was the setup when I was like the most on board um, before, you know, the main twist happens when his wife dies in the opening act. Yeah. Um, the, the like relationship David Duchovny has with his wife in those first like 15, 20 minutes, just like a really great setup. And I was like kind of getting pretty invested and excited for that being, I don't know, carried out throughout the film. Um, so when it did that, like crazy smash cut to her, um, getting carried off to the hospital and all the blood, uh, that was pretty impactful. I was, I was actually like really blown away at that point in the movie. Yeah. The the Um, dance music continues, right. And it just like, uh just the image cuts to like gruesome Mm -hmm. hospital. Yeah. 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 It was, it was really good. That was really, Uh, really good. And also, yeah, I think David Duchovny throughout this movie is like, really really like great entertaining actor to watch um yeah just i mean i haven't seen him in too many things besides the x-files and he's amazing there i kind of wish he had carried out his career you know more in in film than television going forward but it would have been cool seeing him in more variety of things because he's really great yeah. he kind of just um, dropped off the face of the earth like uh i mean i remember he was in evolution in 2000 yeah. oh yeah california cation we're doing a few TV. things yeah um, also jim belushi for yeah. some reason yeah. just has like so much charisma it's just like this awesome really like tertiary character that and, you hardly and Bonnie even Hunt need to know. Like, yeah. yeah like their relationship was so much fun actually that was that was kind of why I thought 
cow liked this movie so much was the that, family dynamic. That like, totally the craziness is. with the kids and yeah. I guess when you last time you saw this movie, you you didn't. Uh, did you have kids? Uh, no, I think I like was maybe just about to get married or something. But that's like Jim uh, Jim Belushi and Bonnie Hunt's house. Uh, that's like mm-hmm. that's my whole childhood. <laughs> like yeah. my my parents aren't like them, but like that environment is like everyone that I know. <laughs> Pure chaos. Yeah. Yeah. So. That, that he definitely has his shirt it. off and his wife just totally like slams him in front of uh, her, her friend. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's kind of funny because yeah. he's like a typecasted kind of guy. You know, he's like he's always just casted as that like schlubby guy. Yeah. And rarely do I, f- I feel like it doesn't work to his favor favor as much as it does in this movie. Like he just comes off yeah. surprisingly charming and like, you know. I don't know, like that that kind of character can be really easily like disgusting, you know, and like, yeah, and like just kind of like a gross guy. But he, I don't know, he's like mm-hmm. has just enough charm and like charisma in this movie that uh, he added quite a bit, surprisingly, for that small character. Yeah, I feel um, like he and Bonnie like Hunt. You never they're... thought you'd be like complimenting Jim Belushi, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. I feel like I feel like Jim Belushi jokes are low hanging fruit at this point. For sure. uh, but, yeah. But he was so good in it. Yeah. 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 I think their relationship is part of what makes it feel so grounded. Like their scenes are really funny, but they're not being funny. Like they're like in character. They don't (laughs) they don't know they're being funny, but they're still like so charming to watch together. And then like towards the end, you kind of like get their dynamic a little more and you get like what she sees in him and, you know, sort of. Yeah, I don't know. It, it it feels very very real, and I I feel like they both did a really good job with those. Yeah, kind of like random tertiary roles. Yeah, I don't want to like really yeah. focus on them, but I just now all this stuff's coming to mind. Like when they first introduce his character, you kind of like for me is like he borders on the line of like he might just be that like alcoholic like asshole like dad. Yeah. And his character doesn't really change, but somehow they're able to convey, yeah, like their relationship and his relationship with the kids and stuff and how like that's not what he is, even though it's like very much on the surface. That is what he is. It's kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. It's surprisingly deep for how small and like just like tertiary yeah. that yeah. character. Was. But yeah. Same with uh, an, another scene that really struck me this time around was uh, uh, I think it's the first scene where David Duchovny's character goes back to the restaurant and he like meets all the old people hanging out playing poker and uh, <laughs> uh, Mar- Marty the grandpa asks like oh are you married he's like no my wife died and he's like ah oh, that's too bad here come back and like he introduces him to the gang like as a as a uh, as a widower and like yeah and like every, really- everyone just like is on board like to like oh yeah like uh, yep all of our wives are dead too like come hang out with us <laughs> and it's uh-huh. it's such like a, right, they, it's kind of a weird yeah. moment but it's also like you kind of get the whole vibe of them just from that interaction which they don't like make mm-hmm. a meal out of it's literally that long just like oh your wife is dead yeah come play mm-hmm. poker with us up a seat. <laughs> yeah. yeah you're one of us yeah <laughs> Yeah, all those guys were were really great. Yeah, like the, all them hanging out, playing poker, and 
just like kind of, yeah, it's probably their, all their wives died and they found camaraderie in that. And, uh, so they, they've just become really close best friends and yeah. their chem, their chemistry together really showed well. Yeah. <clears throat> The other, yeah. the other like really warm hearted moment that I wanted to like point out, which I, I think is sort of emblematic of what makes this movie work so well for me is right at the very end when Minnie drivers in Italy and her waiter asks like, Hey, are you okay? What's going on? She's like, eh, it's a long story. And he just sits down and says, well, I'll take my break right now. And just takes the uh-huh. time to listen to her. Like that's how I feel about this whole movie. Like all these weird secondary and tertiary characters are like, sometimes presented in kind of goofy terms and then it's like no they're real people and they everyone in this movie wants to be kind to each other and uh it's just hard because sometimes weird stuff happens like (laughs) your wife dying in an accident and then their heart getting transplanted into somebody that you met um yeah yeah totally Um, um By the way, the ending totally worked for me too. Like I, I don't know. Like I, maybe I'm just a sappy guy or something. But like I just, you know how how it all came together. I don't know. I just, it worked for me. Sometimes um, you want it to work out. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want it to be super complicated and messy. Yeah. Yeah. It just, mm-hmm. it, he just, it just worked out, and it was mm-hmm. very nice. So. Yeah. It's also worth I noting. Know, I feel, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. No, go on. Going dark. Oh, I was just to say, noting that Bonnie Hunt wrote and directed this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks really? like it's the only wow. movie she yeah. ever directed. Um, but that's just yep. really cool. She's kind of like, yeah. I feel like she was in so much stuff in the 90s. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. It's cool that she got to do this. Yeah, I think her, her sister story. and mom are like, both in this movie, too. Like, like yeah, it, I was reading about that today. Sorry, I think I interrupted somebody. No, wait. So you were reading about today how like did did someone in her in her life have a heart transplant? Or oh no, sorry. I was saying like uh, her her sister and mom are in the movie. Like this was like uh, I think this was one of those like she was just calling in all of her favors and like making it together with the people that she knew and loved and uh, you know it's like a family that, affair that, type thing. Yeah, it seemed pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Um, well, uh, I think we need to move on to the next movie. Uh, but uh, you know, thanks for thanks for the the good movie choice, and uh, thanks for calling in. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a nice movie. So um, <laughs> uh, that movie was Return to Me, and um, yeah, I mean it's available on all sorts of. I watched on Hoopla. So um, <laughs> that's kind of a random streaming site that's associated with the public library system. But um, I think I watched it on IMDb, IMDb TV. Yeah, had it for free. Yeah, me too. IMDb, IMDb has TV, huh? Did not. Did it's not know through. That. It's on Amazon. Yeah, it's like a. I channel watched it on Amazon. Your Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah, and it's just they have a bunch of free movies with ads. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, so Cal, uh, you're a pleasure to have on this podcast and, uh, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about calling in sick just, uh, for the next episode, just, just to get you on more. So, uh, (laughs) no, don't do that. Stay healthy. 
Uh, no, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Uh, always a pleasure. Uh, next time, if I get to recommend a movie, it'll probably be something you know a little little more meaty than just a pleasant '90s sitcom or rom com. But uh, I, I was happy you guys <laughs> <laughs> at least passively enjoyed it, and uh, I'm looking forward to listening to this episode when it comes out. Cool. cool. Well, thanks, man. Have a great day. Right. Yeah, you too. See ya. So, uh, moving on to the next movie. Uh, Sean, you picked a movie called After Hours. Uh, do you want to set it up? Uh, yeah, I picked um, After Hours, which is a uh, Martin Scorsese film. Um, came out in uh, 1984. Uh, the IMDb summary is an ordinary word processor has the worst night of his life after he agrees to visit a girl in Soho who he met uh, that evening at a coffee shop. And that just kicks it off. Um, so my favorite thing about doing, or one of my favorite things about doing uh, these anthology uh, director, filmmaker and um, genre anthologies is you, uh, get to see the the good, the bad, and the weird of um, of movies of of uh, careers, and uh, you really get to see like filmmakers transition in and out of weird phases in their lives, um, and so I kind of wanted to share that aspect with you guys. Like, uh, I don't think anyone had seen After Hours before. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> so like this movie, Martin Scorsese did, um, uh, he, or before this movie, he did, uh, uh, the King of Comedy. He did, uh, uh, Raging Bull and he did, um, oh no, I'm, uh, blanking on the other one. Um, uh, those two are enough. Yeah. Yeah. Mean so I was just looking at yeah, so he did King of Comedy, Raging Bull, and New York, New York. Um, and, but before those three movies, he oh, did Taxi nice. Driver, which is kind of um, Taxi Driver. Before this movie was the was a very Martin Scorsese movie. It was kind of like a passion project of his, um, and so he he hadn't done like a real passion project in in a decade um, at at this point. Um, and then like right before this movie, he tried kind of put everything into making uh, Last Temptation of Christ, uh, which which in the end actually failed. Like he tried to go do the studio route with Last Temptation of Christ um, and put a lot into that, and it kind of fell apart in the end. Um, several years later, he came back to it and did it with a very low budget and um, a much as a much smaller production. But um, so he was kind of coming off of, uh, a, a bit of a failure of trying to do Last Temptation of Christ. And so this movie was him kind of going back into uh, a, a, a like a, a, one of his own movies, like a passion project of his. Because like Raging Bull was actually a Robert De Niro project that he was doing. And uh, same with the those other two movies. Um, so yeah, that's like, that's kind of my, one of my favorite aspects of these anthologies. Um, and so like, 
Um, so like coming into this movie, uh, it, it very much like picks up where taxi driver and mean streets, um, leaves off with a very New York movie, um, about, about a, uh, a specific neighborhood and, um, <clears throat> kind of the dark and the gritty and the, the weirdness of New York city at that time. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, the thing that really interested me about this movie that really stood out was how it was structured as like almost a um, a fantasy adventure type movie, like o- almost uh, almost similar to The Wizard of Oz in a lot of ways, where this guy gets whisked off to a a strange foreign land, um, and spends the rest of the of the movie meeting bizarre fantastical characters uh on on his journey trying to get back home um and uh but this movie like it it just kind of keeps getting weirder and weirder and it gets like more and more bizarre um as he meets new characters and and gets into more and more trouble and through circumstances outside of his control gets um, wrapped up in this this crazy night um, in this crazy neighborhood. Um, I think there's also some really fun performances. Uh, 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 Griffin Griffin Dune, uh, who I recognize from a few other movies, uh, uh, is uh, really fun in this movie. He he also was uh, in American Werewolf in London. Um, I thought he was a ton of fun, especially like, is that the, the main that, character. Yeah, he's the main uh, character. He to- uh, that's what he's from. I totally movies. recognized him. It's like, yeah, it's quite, kind of funny seeing it. Scorsese have a movie uh, with like someone like that as the main character. Usually, he has <laughs> yeah, De Niro or DiCaprio or movie mm. star. And yeah, yeah, David D- Dunn. Who? Uh, Griffin Griffin Dunn. He's really great Um, in it though. Yeah. Like the, the scene that really stands out is, is the one where he meets that guy. He's in that guy's apartment after uh, trying to use the phone and he like just kind of goes off um, trying to describe this weird night that he's had. (laughs) And he's just like, (laughs) he's just freaking out at this guy who's just staring at him like just stone faced um, <laughs> and, uh, he has a, he has a few really fun, uh, really energetic f- scenes like that. Um, but yeah. And like the way that this movie ends, it just like, it just ends so perfectly. Um, I don't know if I want to get into, to, um, exactly how it ends, but it's just like really bizarre and, and perfectly timed as well. Like I, I think this movie wouldn't work if it was any, if it was too much longer. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I, I, this movie is on my honorable mentions list of, of Martin Scorsese. I wouldn't put it in like a top five or I don't even know if I would put it necessarily in a top 10, but I would say that it's a really important movie in his career and like really shows a different side of him and shows how he developed as a director and changed as a director. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think like it's definitely, this is definitely isn't the first movie um, that shows this, but uh, 
it does really show how funny Martin Scorsese is, especially in his early career. Like I think Brandon recently watched Alice doesn't live here anymore. And I think that movie is absolutely hilarious. Also New York, New York is, is really funny. And I think he's actually really good at directing comedy. Um, and, uh, the King of comedy as well is another good example. But, um, so Sean, uh, I, yeah. I want to I, I want to stick with Scorsese for just a minute before we go into after hours, if you don't mind, uh, because you know you're talking about him. But uh, I I am continually surprised by Scorsese. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like growing up, I put him in the same category as like Spielberg or Zemeckis or whoever as like classic filmmaker. You know, dude, mm-hmm. you know he makes gangster movies. You know, but yeah. the more I watch of his work, the more I realize that he's like an indie guy at heart you know like he he loves movies and film history and he loves the art of making movies and he loves um he's very good at like putting himself um not necessarily like his personality but like his thought process or something that he's going through into his work and um it's like like this to me was like just like shocking how um how out there it was and it was like Scorsese was going I I didn't know the stuff about um The Last Temptation of Christ like I didn't know that that movie had fallen apart I'm a big fan of that movie mm-hmm. I, I think it's great but um I just just seeing like that time period in the 80s which is kind of just in the middle of his career like he he really uh um had some really interesting choices there. And, um, you know, he, it's just, it's just surprising. Like, I don't know, between like, who's that knocking on my door and, uh, you know, and then like, you've got like Hugo, which is like, uh, mm-hmm. an animated love story f- about film. And, um, and then there's a bunch of films that like, I haven't even seen, but like, like Kundun is like mm-hmm. a period piece and gangs of New York is yeah. another period piece. Like he's, if you think that he just makes gangster movies, it's silence. like you're way off, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like silence and the last temptation of Christ are him working through like yeah. his religion and putting his feelings about religion through someone else's story. And he's just, he's, it's just shocking how, um, how well of a filmmaker he is. You know, he's just, mm-hmm. he just keeps going and, um, he's really something special. Yeah, for sure. He tends to dabble in almost every genre too. It seems like uh, mm-hmm. he has horror movies. He has yeah, he has for real. Like, and... Yeah, Cape Fear I, I think is that's... terrifying. Cape yeah. Fear freaked me out. <laughs> like Robert De Niro was so scary in that movie. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, Martin Scorsese and seeing how like he directs is one of the funnest parts about like experiencing this film because it is is so different from him. And he brings, like, such a crazy, like, energy to this film right from the Mm get-go. And it just moves so fast. Like, the pace is awesome. And you kind of, just like the title, like, within the first 20 minutes, you kind of know what the movie's going to do to you. It's just going to be this wild night, like, kind of like a real-time type thing. Um, And all the situations that just like domino into each other is like hilarious and so stressful to watch, but it's, it's really great. (laughs) What Um, I loved about that, that aspect of the movie was that I felt like at least he was trying to make, you know, not necessarily like the right choice, but he was trying to like make a, 
he was trying to make the right choice in every scene just to like get out of there. Like he was mm-hmm. in each situation, he was trying to like do the right thing to get home. But it turned out that every choice he made was wrong and it just drove him <laughs> further and further into mm-hmm. the chaos that was that night. And, uh, it made me feel crazy. I, I got done watching the movie and I was like, I feel like an insane person. Like that vibe was so intoxicatingly nuts that I, I don't know if I should talk to anyone today. Cause I just might ramble on for two hours, you know? So yeah. yeah the camera work is like, gets you really into this, like so much of a frenzy, I guess works you up. I think. And then also I remember the like $20 bill, like yeah. callback. Uh-huh. Just like it obviously means nothing, but like it doesn't mean everything. Like, what the fuck is going on? Is it all connected? It's just it's really uh-huh. cool, like little things like that that just make you feel like this night is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to hear you say you kind of you liked how short the movie was because it was really short. I think it was under an hour yeah. and forty minutes. Yeah, um, I kind of felt like it got a little like cluttered at the end and started moving too fast with like the when those like separate characters came in and he didn't the first parts he kept going back and forth from the same characters and it really helped the movie but then there's a sequence where he like touches on three different scenarios one after another and to me it like got a little bit too fictional and out of control and just like this is super random and i think if it had slowed down a little bit or at least just like stayed in one place for longer it would have had me in the final climax a little bit better um hmm. but I, yeah, and I really appreciated like the idea of the ending moment with the plaster work and all that. Like mm-hmm. that is so outrageous and horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and again, the callbacks from like, you know, that plays out throughout the whole movie. Um, it's like such a great climax for what the hell happens to this character. Um, but again, I think it, wish it had taken longer for him to have, literally got into that casting um for Hmm. me to have been like on board with it um so yeah i have a little bit of problems with like the final third but yeah it was cool to watch scorsese work like this is there like an implied like more to the paper mache work in this movie so there's like multiple people that do paper mache stuff and they're all like realistic like human looking like creepy paper mache things and there's like people trying to like steal them and buy them and like yeah and it's the 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 uh bagel paperweight uh yeah yeah. plaster paperweights that actually bring him there i don't know how far to read into anything in this movie or if it's all just supposed Uh, to be like just chaotic happenstance thing but like because there's a scene when he first when he's at the first like girl's apartment and he sees like the paper mache like human thing and he's like kind of creeped out by it i think he like reaches over to touch it because it's like an arm reaching out like a person that's like reaching Mm -hmm. out for help and then he like gets pulled away and then later on that literally happens to him and it's like from a and the girl that he was for her first apartment, she goes to that same club in which downstairs he got paper mache. I don't. It just felt like there's all these weird connections like that like the burglars. He runs into the burglars who are actually stealing that. Well, they wait. They weren't stealing it in the end. They bought they, it. The the 
fit. Yeah, they bought that paper mache. They were burglars who bought the paper mache. <laughs> burglars that, that ran actually off legally purchased after, it. and then he brought it back to that apartment, and yeah, and then uh, ends up being paper mache himself. So weird. I thought <laughs> I wasn't sure it was if they're really insinuating cool. something there or not. Uh huh. I thought it was really cool. You brought this up a little bit, Sean. Um, just seeing Soho, like downtown New York, the Soho neighborhood. In 1980s, which it's like, I don't know if you guys have remember walking through there, but it's like the nicest cast iron renovated everything like in all of the most expensive neighborhood in Manhattan now. Um, but it's mm. so cool seeing what it was in like 70s and 80s when it was kind of like the overflow from West Village and like super artists, lofty, like, you know, really gent- not even gentrified, but kind of like poor 20 year old living you know moving out of their parents house going to soho to live in these lofts and it was Mm -hmm. cool seeing that like artist like bohemian lifestyle of that neighborhood when it actually was that in the 80s and being filmed like that Hmm. totally Mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know i i loved this movie i just love the energy of it um I kind of get like weirdly like super into movies like this from filmmakers that when I don't expect it to come from them, like it kind of reminded me of the first time I saw the Hudsucker proxy and I was like, this is one of Coen brothers best movies. And over time it's kind of gone down a little bit, but like, I still think it's great. And that's kind of how I felt about after hours. Like I think I gave it a higher rating than Sean did. And, uh, I don't know if that'll stick, you know, it's kind of one of those things where at the time I was just like, yeah, that was great. That was crazy. That was great. And, uh, I I have it in the top ten for for Scorsese for Scorsese right now, Scorsese. And, uh, for Scorsese uh, right now. But um, and that could change over time. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I loved it. Thanks for recommending it, Sean. Yeah, you bet. Yep. Okay, so moving on to the next movie, uh, Derek, uh, your your pick was a movie called Fright Night. Do you yes. want to uh, tell us about it? Uh, yeah. Um. Sorry, I, don't, I didn't have the th- thing pulled up. Uh, so the IMDb plot synopsis of the movie is when a nice new neighbor moves in next door, Charlie discovers that he is an ancient vampire who preys on the community. Can he save his neighborhood from the creature with the help of the famous vampire killer Peter Vincent? Uh, so Fright Night is, was... One I recommended was uh, from 2011. It was a remake of a 80s uh, movie of the same name, and uh, which is also really great. I recommend. I don't know where you guys, if you guys have. Seen, I think Nick's seen the old one. Um, I have yeah. not seen. Oh, okay. It's very different. It's very different yeah. from this one. Like hmm. it's basically a totally different plot. I mean, like it's same. It's a remake by concept, but not necessarily by. Um, you know, right. They take the concept genre? and kind of go different directions with it. Yeah. yeah. Is it like same, same genre though? Like horror kind of comedy? Yeah. It's like a horror comedy. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like think, uh, yeah. Think of like eighties horror comedy. Okay. Um, I don't know. Like in, like as time's gone on, I'm kind of starting to lean back towards the eighties version, but this one, when I had first seen it and I've watched it many, many times since then, I've always just really liked it. I think it's got like a really awesome cast and it's just a fun, well-paced movie. It's like easy to digest. It's not like a horror movie that is really terrifying. Um, it's just kind of fun. It just takes like all those different horror concepts and just has fun with them. Um, so that's why it's it's always just sat there in the back of my head. Is like whenever 
Um, if I'm going to like my parents' house or something for Halloween and they want something to watch, I know it's something I can turn on. Everyone's going to have a fun time watching it. And it kind of fits that bill of Halloween movie, you know? Um, so that's why it's always just sat there and I've always just really appreciated it. Uh, it's directed by, um, uh, Craig Gillespie who directed I, Tanya. Um, yeah, like I can see that. Lars and the real girl. Yes. Um, and yeah, I picked it because I figured you guys hadn't seen it. And um, I thought everyone would kind of enjoy it. And it's got the late um, Ant- Anton Yelchin in it, um, who we're all big fans of. Colin Farrell, Tony Collette, David Tennant. It's a crazy oh. cast. It's a crazy cast. But uh, and they the cast the cast was unbelievable. Dave Franco was, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Modern Family. You had the guy, uh, the mm-hmm. boyfriend. You know, the um, he had like one line in the movie, but. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember his name. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that one guy who dates Haley for a while. And, uh-huh. um, I actually, Derek, I thought that the cast was like, I thought the characters were kind of underwritten in the mm-hmm. movie. Like they were kind of like on paper, they're all pretty boring characters. But then uh, like the cast just had them jump off the page. Like they were all so interesting and charismatic. And I just was like kind of rooting for all of them. I mean, Colin Farrell is like, what's the deal with Colin Farrell? You know, I mean, like he's he's like a really good actor, but like and he's kind of super famous. But like, I don't know. I don't know how to categorize him. Well, I think this was like during his transition from like the faint, like the the hot Colin Farrell, you know, that was just like kind of cast for his looks and like his name where I think he's in a different place currently in his career, you know, like with his lobster and like killing of the mm. sacred deer and like different things like that. I feel like he's like turned, he's turned into like now like kind of one of the high, high quality, like really good actor that you just throw in a movie. Cause he's just, he's awesome. He kind of nails it. And I feel like at yeah. this time in his career, he was still like, yeah, like the hot guy, you know, he's like cast as just mm. like, he's called Farrell. He's right. And he still kind of was cast as that. Well, movie. exactly. Okay. Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. But, um, but he's but really yeah, it's good though. Style like genre. He, it's more genre. Yeah. And he, but he like carries himself in like a really like, I don't know, menacing way where like he, he, he's very believable. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah, he's so self-assured and, and he's just, he's been doing this for fucking centuries. You yeah. know, he's just, he's kind of over it. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't really worry about it and <laughs> he knows he'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you guys uh, mentioned that with Christopher Plasse, the comedic actor. Yeah. McLovin. 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 Yeah. McLovin. Like, it was really great. He did an awesome job in the like first act of uh, this film. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't fully buy what happened to him, honestly, but um, that's okay. I think his character is a lot more tragic in the 80s version. Like, it's actually a pretty sad story, what happens with him. Yeah. It's similar. I thought there was some, like, weird tonal uh, aspects of this movie and, like, as well as theme. Like, I thought it was a little messy in the end where, like, his character was kind of all about who the main character used to be. Like, they used to be super nerdy and used to geek out about about fantasy stuff and Dungeons and Dragons and all all that kind of stuff. And and then the main character has kind of gone more uh, 
uh, more towards caring about what other people think of him and, and doesn't want to be seen as a nerd or whatever. Um, but like in the end it, it kind of, it, it turned out that like his girlfriend liked him. The only reason his girlfriend liked him is because he was different and, and unique from all the other boys in school. Yet at the end, he, the, the, um, McLovin character is still seen as the, the villain. Like, I thought that was kind of a, a little bit of a muddy message there. Mm. Um, and then also like, I, it took me a little bit to really understand what kind of movie I was watching. Cause like the way that they, they interact early on in the movie, McLovin and the, the main character are, is um, like, it, it's almost like they both know what's going on with the vampire. Like he's like right off the bat already knows that there's a vampire and knows how to kill a vampire and everything. McLovin and, and, does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's almost like he, I, I didn't know if we were supposed to know that they that they already know about vampires or or what. So it took me a little bit to get into it, but I think it, actually, it's like um, a archetype. I kind of think like um, yeah, yeah. Like maybe. you're supposed to just it comes with the archetype is how I kind of mm-hmm. it doesn't justify them not explaining it, but I, I think that's like why mm-hmm. my brain made the connection really quickly, and that's probably what they mm-hmm. assumed was going to happen is like. Yeah. He's just the guy that already believes in that stuff. And Anton Yelchin is the kid that used to be there, but he's trying to move away to get like more into girls and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I kind of liked how the movie kind of just like, you know, yada, 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 a lot of like, uh, yeah, now vampires yeah. exist. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Now we're on board yeah. with vampires yeah. existing, you know? Uh-huh. And then like, yeah. it, like yeah, that is the true. lady, the lady blew up outside, like straight up. She's like, just going to mention that. That was a really great moment. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. That was cool. And then that totally took me off guard. Like, but then, like I, even I right, did not see that coming. And then, but then even like right after that, he's like in his bedroom and he's just like shaking because of it. And his mom's just like, Oh, Hey, you know? And he's like <laughs> va- vampires basically like, just don't let him inside the house. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just thought that was, uh, and I liked how on board they were right away. And um, speaking of that scene, though, with the light, um, I thought there was a lot of like fun stuff with light in the movie where um, because of vampires, she uh, they they live uh, they're asleep during the day. They can't go in the sunlight. But um, so he had all of his windows boarded up. And so, you know, mm-hmm. because he sleeps during the day. But like you could say that about Vegas, like some people just sleep during the day and they have their windows boarded up. Mm-hmm. But that comes back a few times in the movie where there's like stuff that's boarded up and then you can like bust a window or something. Light can like shine in on that one spot. Um, I thought that was a pretty cool uh, little trick there. Mm. But yeah, I, don't know. Um, I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. Um my only weird thing about it was the sexual energy with the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just wanted to bring it up because I felt like a lot of vampire movies have like a lot of sexuality with them, but they're usually like related to the vampires. And Colin Farrell definitely had that going on for him. Like he carried like he like oozed sex in this movie. But um I also like all the other characters were either like horny little boys or just like just commenting on sex all the or time. Just hot girls. Yeah. Or just hot girls or like even like just the, the hot guy, girl. the guy from Fright Night was like, Hey, 
I had sex with that girl. And I was like, wait, what? Like, yeah. who talks like that? <laughs> and I just, yeah. um, I just was, um, I just was like, huh, um, maybe this is 2011, you know, like, is this a 2011 <laughs> thing or is it like a misplaced, uh, sexual vampire thing? Because, uh, it is like an archetype for vampire movies. Just, uh, mm-hmm. maybe it's also a 2011 thing. Thoughts? Yeah, I think maybe they were trying to mimic, like trying to capture what the 80s version did too. Because I remember the 80s version being very much all about that the whole time. Like it's about his neighbor that pretty much seduces women. And, and, hmm. and there's a big chunk of the movie where he's just seducing his girlfriend. And so it's like, um, I don't know, it's kind of all about that. I've, at least from what I remember, it's been a little while since I've seen that, but that's kind of the big plot of it is he finds out that his neighbor's doing this and then his neighbor turns on him and starts doing it to the people around him. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely an eighties kind of trope too. Yeah. Right. Like sex. I mean, that definitely sounds really interesting. I don't know if that came through with this movie. Right. Much. I mean, there was that one scene, which I actually thought was like a pretty like powerful and sad scene where Colin Farrell did get his girlfriend. I was the like, nightclub. Uh, yeah. I mean, mm, I didn't know if yeah. I, I didn't fully buy how the crowds were splitting them up. I was like, I've been in concerts. Uh-huh. That doesn't really happen. But um, <laughs> so I did like, ha- sorry, I didn't mean to cut you know, off. just how Colin Farrell then like got her and like kind of seduced her and kissed her. I was like, yeah. Oh man. I guess okay. if you drink vampire blood, you fall in love with va- the vampire or something. Or you just Is like, it was? You like become hypnotized. Yeah. yeah. I think, I don't know how I mean, far. they use the hypnotizing. To yeah. Love yeah. That's earlier. What I say. So like, that's also a typical vampire trope. And so I think that's all kind of a part of it. If you look them in the eye or whatever. But yeah, it's just always been like a fun movie to me. So I thought thought you guys would mm. have fun watching it too. I, one thing at the end, this is a very 2011 thing. Is I don't know if you guys noticed when they no spoilers when they kill the main vampire, like the blood shoots out at the camera. So this movie was a big 3D like put like oh. <laughs> it was like Fright Night in 3D when it came out. Oh. So they have like. There's like weird scenes that just don't look right. It's because they're supposed to be like gimmicky. Avatar, Hugo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Avatar, Hugo, and Fright Night. (laughs) Night. And Life of Pi. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Well, Derek, I really did enjoy it, and I uh, I'm glad you picked it. You know, I love horror movies, so um, you know, uh, I you know another horror movie that got to enjoy, and so. And also, yeah, you like, love these types of like early 2010s like horror films. I remember mm-hmm. what's like Trick or Treat you made us watch, and these kind of like light, easy Halloween movies. I've never seen right Trick or Treat, so mm-hmm. that must not have been me. But I've never seen Trick or Treat. No, Derek. I'm talking. Oh, about Derek. Derek. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, cool. Well, uh, let's move on to the next movie. Uh, Brandon, you're uh, our final movie pick for the day, and uh, uh, I don't know how you're going to set up this movie, so uh, let's, let's give it a try, man. Yeah. So, didn't want to read the IMDb synopsis, since there's not too much of a synopsis, so there's this uh, pretty good phrase just on Wikipedia that kind of summarizes the movie, and um, I think it was Derek 
said yesterday he kind of wishes he had read the IMDb thing first Mm -hmm. before going to movie just to like kind of help you prepare yourselves. Um, But I'll just start by reading it. Um, So quick summary. uh, Mira unfolds around memories recalled by a dying poet of key moments in his life and in Soviet culture. The film combines contemporary scenes with childhood memories, dreams, and newsreel footage. Its cinematography slips between color, black and white, and sepia. The film's uh, loose flow of visual dreamlike images has been compared with a stream of consciousness technique in modernist literature. So I think that, like knowing that before mm-hmm. you go into the film, could yeah. just really help on what to kind of look out for, I guess. Um, so you're not looking out for the wrong thing. Because I think you can very easily get wrapped up in trying to look for like plot points. Yeah. And just like eventually you realize none are coming and you should just be like letting it kind of like uh, wash over you to begin with. Um, It's kind of a better way of watching it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so this is a Andre Tarkovsky film. Uh, He's pretty infamous 60s, 70s Russian director. Um, Talking about like Martin Scorsese's filmography and passion projects, I mean... So Tarkovsky, this is his fourth film, and he kind of did pretty massive genre films before this. Um, Ivan's Childhood is first a World War II film. Andrei Rublov is like an old Middle Ages, like four-hour epic. And then Solaris is this um, sci-fi, fully sci-fi film. And then finally for his fourth film, he went to this like very introspective, short um yeah, film called Mirror. And I think it's really interesting stacked up to his other films uh, in his career. While like being dreamlike and having um, very like interesting and confusing imagery is kind of like a signature of his throughout even his quote more mainstream films. Um, this one takes all of that to the extreme and I was really floored the first time I watched this. Like, it is a feast for the eyes with how dense and complex um, just every single scene and shot is. And I really loved, especially on rewatching, seeing all the ways he, like, intercuts this, like, flowing memory of his. Like, characters will, like, change actors, um, Different scenes will change within the same pan. Um, Like time will change within just one pan. Uh, Like there'll be really, really beautiful, creative, um, like cuts to archival footage with like this massive epic score um, that helps like tie scenes together. And there's just like also a lot of like really interesting callbacks throughout the film. Whatever they happen to mean, it's kind of like very spaced out and um, interesting to see them pop in and out. Loud car just went by. Um, So yeah, those are some of the things I really liked about this movie. I think I picked it because I knew both Derek and Sean hadn't seen a Tarkovsky film yet. I know Nick is a little bit underway already, but um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Um, for me, uh, yeah, this was my second Tarkovsky film. Um, I had seen Stalker before, and Stalker's a really powerful movie, and um, it's kind of sci-fi, but it's really just like 
and exploration of the, some existential ideas. And um, so it's funny that you said that Derek wished that he had read um, about this film a little bit beforehand because that little excerpt that you read from Wikipedia, I actually did read that. Like, I didn't read the plot or anything like that, but I did, like, I just kind of, like, with, with Tarkovsky, I know that it can be a lot to digest. <laughs> and I uh, was like, I just want to, like, get, like, just like a little bit of intro of this movie, just so I am not like completely lost going in. And, um, yeah, like, I mean, I'm very glad I did. And I was able, I was able to like kind of connect some threads better than, um, I may have otherwise. Um, so for me, like I loved how precise and personal this movie was. Like, I felt like there were a lot of parts of it that were like, that was like Tarkovsky, like working through some, some of his own stuff and also like Russia in general, you know, like he was kind of, uh, exploring a lot of big ideas, but the characters were all just kind of regular people. And, um, I mean, I feel like it's a testament to how great of a filmmaker he is that these, um, there wasn't much plot. There was hardly any character development, but like the scenes were so good that you could get invested in them like immediately. And, um, you know, there, the story was nonlinear. Uh, there were some dream sequences. There was some newsreel footage. Like you're dealing with like a lot of like big concept type stuff, but, um, I felt like they, they didn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily cohesive, but it, um, it kind of felt like um, scenes from life or something. You know, I, I said it was like an it was like an autobiography of a culture without an awareness of it being an autobiography. So, um, yeah, I thought it was like super interesting. And um, I don't know. One other thing that I think is like kind of like uh, I appreciate about this type of filmmaking is that it doesn't feel the need to uh form like to to put itself into a box to be um like i feel like a lot of times um foreign films or american film like foreign films will come to america or concepts will come to america and uh americans american films have to have like certain stories or have to have like plots and characters and stuff and um oftentimes foreign films like this movie especially is like, Nope, it's just about this. Uh, it's just about this idea. What did you get out of it? You know, it's <laughs> mm-hmm. just right there, you know, and yeah, just uh, like let it wash over you and let the experience be what it is. Totally. And I, I this is a quick, quick tangent, but, um, like I, uh, I just watched Solaris, his other movies. I watched that last week, um, after I watched mirror and it's awesome. Like it's a great, great movie. And, um, it's, uh, it, but it's, it's just like, it's just the con like he goes, the character goes up into space. He goes to the space station and then he starts dealing with these, like these philosophical and existential ideas. And he's thinking about his identity and his, his life. And, it doesn't, the movie doesn't feel a need to add much, to add anything else other than, Hey, that's what this character is going through. Compare that to like a movie, like, I don't know, sunshine, which I know you guys are a fan of. And I liked, but not as much as you guys, because by the end of the movie, they like, they needed to have like regular plot stuff and action or whatever. And this is just like, Hey, um, here's some ideas, go into it and think about it. And, what did you get out of it? And, 
I thought it was pretty amazing. Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of, uh, as far as coming into this movie, I didn't know anything about it, and I didn't even really know... I guess enough about Tarkovsky to, to be prepared for it. Uh, I was kind of thinking it was more of a, maybe a, um, Stanley Kubrick type, uh, type of movie or, or a, uh, Terrence Malick type movie, um, which both of them, all their movies have at, at least more plot, um, than this movie does. Uh, so early on in this movie, I was like kind of, like searching for a plot. I was, and I was like almost, um, in the first maybe 10 minutes, I was starting to get worried. Like, is there something going on that I'm, I'm missing? Am I like overlooking some, some plot details or should I know more about what's going on? But, um, once I kind of let go of that, which it didn't take me that long to do, um, the movie just really started to, uh, to impact me. Um, pretty significantly. Um, I love the way that the movie plays with time in a way that's like, not only does, does the past influence or like echo in the future and like the, that shot, that brilliant shot of the, the boy, he like kind of has a flashback to a woman, um, drinking tea, or, or is that what it was? She was drinking tea and yeah. then there was a, the leaves the teacup on the table. And then, oh, yeah. so as he, he goes through that scene and then he flashes back to, I guess the present, if you can even say there's a present and then the, the steam or the, um, the ring, I guess the, yeah. Or the, no, like the humidity of that coffee or the, the teacup is still there on the yeah. table. Like, and how the, yeah, I guess like how the past influences and echoes the future, but also kind of how the future or present impacts the past or how you see the past or or the way that you in the past um, were looking forward into the future, how that future impacts you in the present. So was, yeah. there was a lot of really interesting ideas there that honestly, I you know, I haven't had enough time. I need to rewatch the movie yeah. um, and really put them together in any kind of meaningful way. Um, that was my first thought when I finished the movie. Like, even though I had like a setup of like, I, I, you know, of, I told you, I I read that a little bit, even though I had a little bit of a mm -hmm. setup, I was immediately when the movie was done, I was like, yeah, I should try to watch this again before the, before we podcast. Yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, I could really benefit from that. Uh, -huh. instead of watch. The yeah, I definitely didn't have time to rewatch it, but I, I really wanted to. And it's, it, you know, it being fairly short, it's a, would be a pretty easy movie to revisit. Um, but yeah, the, the cinematography in this movie too, like the imagery was just remarkable. Um, like all the long takes, the very slow, deliberate, long takes, um, like transition, transitioning in and out of different time periods. And, um, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was always pretty like incredible three film. extra ideas that like don't need big ideas that don't need to mm -hmm. be in the shot to have already mm -hmm. made it work. And then like, there's just all these extra layers on top of every single one or like something in the background or yeah, some kind of transition. It's really cool. Totally. I, some ones that like, like are ingrained in my head is like mm -hmm. the, 
long pan of the the boys in the table and the bottle falls off as they get up to run to look at the fire mm-hmm. and uh the like glass tilts and the woman walks by the camera and then it actually fully moves outside to this barn um, mm-hmm. in flames uh the levitating girl above the bed yeah. which just starts oh with God. a guy like kind of like petting the sleeping girl and then as it pulls back he disappears and then she's just floating by the bed mm-hmm. um the sheets that are like blowing in the wind or uh, they first start still and as it pans across the door opens the wind comes in and then it goes up to a mirror and it shows the boy in the corner like with a huge glass of milk mm-hmm. um in slow motion there's just so many like yeah it's yeah it's incredible yeah so I was kind of telling Brandon last night and just briefly mentioned that I think for me I would have benefited a lot from watch or from just reading that small IMDb uh, synopsis just because the movie felt like a bunch of like vignettes and I had no and I get that sounds like this is kind of what you guys are thinking is the point but like I had no grasp on what was happening in any way it was just like pure imagery from start to finish in a couple character recurring characters but um the second i read the imd imdb synopsis it was like it all kind of clicked in i think i kind of get the movie um as much as you can like i understood that what was what the movie is at least which is pretty much what you already read from the wikipedia um, that that actually made sense to me. Um, Funny thing is, after that, after his Wikipedia, after that part that he just read from Wikipedia, the next sentence is: "Mirror initially polarized critics and audiences, with many considering its narrative to be incomprehensible." <laughs> so, yeah, you're not alone. Narrative? I mean, yeah, is. <laughs> it's, it's really beautiful movie though, for sure. Like just the look. Um, yeah, I can, you can see like how the the style has influenced some modern like cinematography and stuff. Um, I don't know how consistent. I mean, I've always just heard him as like a legendary director, um, so I assume all his movies are pretty consistently amazing. But um, it was cool to just kind of see a glimpse at the quality of work that he does, even though I didn't really understand any of it. But uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. It's always cool to be introduced to that kind of work, you know? Yeah. And while this movie, um, while all his movies have aspects of this, like kind of confusingness throughout them, um, this one is just all in on that for an entire Mm -hmm. hour and 40 minutes. And so I think a lot of his other movies are much longer, much more calm. Um, You can actually make sense of, pretty much all the rest as you go through them and they're a lot slower yeah based on the other two that i've seen yeah like both like stalker and solaris were both over two and a half hours long and they're very slow but um deliberate and yeah it can be kind of confusing um but also that's just kind of like being dropped into a tv show where you don't know and you have to catch up you know, that type of thing. Like Solaris mm-hmm. takes place in this like sci-fi utopia, maybe, you know, and they don't really explain what happens, but maybe the characters don't really know what happened, you know? So, um, that type of thing. So what do you think this kind of storytelling, what, 
I guess story. What do you think this? What do you think this style adds to it? I mean, like as opposed to telling a more linear story using the same exact like imagery, um, but connecting the dots. Like that's the part think, that I get lost when like like in this kind of arc. So like I don't. It's hard for me to comprehend and like grasp what I'm supposed to be grasping. No, it's okay. So I think with a movie this rich in like visuals and ideas is plenty enough for a movie to like stand on its own without all that extra stuff. Like I think there is so much enjoyment you can get out of an experience like this. Um, And it's just different. It's not, you know, like you need to choose one or the other, have to have one or the other. Right. Um, it's just its own thing done extremely, extremely well. And that's enough sometimes, especially when it's wrapped up in like an hour and 38 minutes. And, you know, there is like 500 different ideas within that time. It, it entertains the hell out of me still. Yeah. Mm. See, I think this I mean, movie it is was, like, yeah, go ahead, Nick. Um, I think this movie was, um, supposed to be like a lot about memory. And I feel like this is kind of how memory works a little bit. Like when you, when you play with your memory, it's never linear. Mm. Um, you struggle to remember when things happened. Um, especially if you're like, I don't know, doing an exercise like this and you're trying to like, I don't know, go through your, your whole history or trying to bring up big moments. It's like, it's hard to really, you have to be extremely deliberate to be, on top of the order of events of what happens in your memory. But if you're just like free flowing and you just start letting things pop into your head, um, which I kind of felt like this movie was kind of trying to capture that feeling of it. Um, that makes sense. So like I, almost from his, from the, that character that it's technically about from his perspective, this, this is like the story is linear. Like that's how everything pops into his head. And like kind of mm-hmm. as these memories, you don't need context when it's your memory. You already, yeah. you and already that, have that built in. So it's just kind of his that description. Of, that description that Brandon, uh, that Brandon read, uh, saying that it's more like, uh, um, modernist literature of stream of con- consciousness, um, is yeah that's a very good description of this movie it's not it's just like ideas or feelings or emotions and or tones just kind of being put out there um for you or or even like it's it's almost like listening to a a symphony or listening to a full album um, and just letting the music impact you not doing anything you know not driving not you know cleaning or cooking or doing chores while you're doing it, but just like sitting there to listen to an album and letting the emotions hit you, uh, in whatever way that they hit you. And I think that's the, I think that's the value of a movie like this to me. It makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, Brandon question, um, is this your favorite or best, uh, Tarkovsky movie or? Yeah. I think this is Tarkovsky's best film. Uh, for me, I have not seen his last two, uh, Nostalgia or The Sacrifice, but uh, of his first five, I think this is my favorite. Okay, yeah, I I would love to rewatch this. I uh, if it was available on Criterion, I probably would have bought it. 
but it's not on Criterion, and I feel like it's going to be someday. You know, like Stalker God, we need a remaster. Stalker, so yeah, yeah. It's so I was grainy. I was gonna like I was looking at the Blu-ray, and I was like, this Blu-ray came out like when Blu-rays came out. You know, and I just <laughs> I don't know. I uh, I just feel like Solaris and Stalker are both on Criterion. Uh, Andre Rubloff is on Criterion. Mirror has to be in the future, so I'm just gonna hold out on that a little bit, but um, before I rewatch it, but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be I'll definitely have it on my radar to rewatch this one someday. So, uh, anything else? No, that's it. Cool. Well, uh, great movie choice, Brandon. Uh, yeah, uh, very powerful, very different. Uh, I loved these movie choices, guys. Uh, just mm-hmm. we're all over the place this last month. Uh, <laughs> very, very interesting. Um, so with next month, um, there are going to be a few big movies that are coming out. Like theaters are still not going to be open, but Judd Apatow's The King of Staten Island will be on uh, video on demand. Uh, Spike Lee has a new joint, uh, De Five Bloods. That's going to be straight to Netflix. Uh, Artemis Fowl is a new Disney movie that was going to be in theaters, but it's going straight to Disney Plus. Um, you know, I have no idea. None of us know the quality of these movies or want to put the endorsement on it or necessarily like have the episode be revolved around these movies. But, uh, so we're still going to, we're still going to pick our four choice, four movie choices. Um, and then maybe in July we'll get back to normal. I don't know. I I feel like everything is still up in the air. Tenant is still Mm -hmm. on the schedule for July 16th Mm -hmm. or so, (laughs) but, um, we'll see if it comes out or if, you know, honestly, if I'm com- if we're all comfortable going to it, I, I'm not sure if I will be. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting. But so, yeah, well, we're going to keep our eye on 2020 movies and then we each have our uh, our pick that we're going to make each other watch in the next few weeks. So um, let's uh, let's go around. And uh, Sean, do you have your movie pick ready? I do. Um so first I had you guys watch a Kurosawa and then I had you guys watch a uh then I had you guys watch a uh Scorsese. Now I'm going to do move on to uh Stanley Kubrick. All right. Uh, Thank you. And I'm pretty sure only Nick has seen this movie. Um but uh I'm going to have you guys watch The Killing. Sweet. Interesting. I this thought you were going to go. Uh, I thought you were going to go Barry Lyndon, and I was like, "Yes, yeah, Barry Lyndon. Yes, yes, yes." yes. For Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll let I've Brandon uh, deal with the heavy dramas. Uh, I'm I'm more about the fun, you guys. I want you guys great. to have fun. Um, yeah, this is a very early um, Stanley Kubrick. It's his. Uh, let's see. It's it was right before. Um, yeah, right before Paths of Glory. So this was like the second movie movie of his that I saw. Um, and yeah, it's a, a heist film. It's about a, a group of uh, people trying to steal a bunch of money from a racetrack. And uh, yeah, it was very, very noir. It's a very fun movie. Yep. Um, great. I'm excited. Great pick, Sean. I'll, I'll, I've seen this movie a few times actually, but I'll, okay. I'll, I'm, I'll love to see yeah. it again. I think this movie's mm-hmm. great. Kubrick's great. I haven't seen any Kubrick movies. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> what? Okay. Let's like let's move on. I've seen Can't every Kubrick movie <laughs> pretty much besides the first cast. Don't have time to address this. <laughs> I can't even start with this. <laughs> All right. Well this is at least is a really okay, good so, starting um, yeah. I'd so say this Brandon's is a good choosing starting his point. Brandon's changing his pick to two thousand one. Um, I'm changing my pick to the sh- shining. Uh, I, wait, sorry. No, I lied. I have seen the shining. Actually, we watched okay. it together, Nick, when we were little. Oh, yeah, totally. I have we seen were it in, like, seventh then. grade. Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. We were yeah. hopped up on soda. <laughs> um, cool. Um, Who next? Well, that being said, uh, I don't know, Derek, what, what's, do you have a pick for, this, uh, for uh, next month? Yeah, I decided to just kind of go, I know Nick's seen this movie, and it's just one of my all-time favorite directors, and I feel like doesn't get brought up enough anymore he is dead now but uh it's a west craven movie uh called the people under the stairs it's just like a freaking weird movie (laughs) and uh i remember really really liking it and it's got i don't even i can't even begin to explain it but it's just a bizarre yeah fun movie uh yeah, and I just I want bringing the horror, bringing the horror. I love it. Yeah, you guys. I don't know if I've seen a Wes Craven. You've seen Scream. That's okay. Oh, I get it. Scream. No, I'm I'm actually serious. Wait, you don't I've think you've seen, seen Scream? I've seen the opening of Scream. <laughs> like I've seen the the so Drew I'm Barrymore scream. scene. Next picking Scream. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, I'm looking through this. I don't. Yeah, I don't think I've seen. Uh, I've I've never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I'm picking New Nightmare. From <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Got it. Wow. Uh, Craven's great. Yeah, he's an all-time horror director. Like top mm. top few, top three horror directors. I've seen a couple of his remakes. I guess I've seen Last House on the Left remake. I've seen Hills Have Eyes remake. I've seen I've seen uh, Scary Movie. <laughs> Okay, so Brandon, Brandon, what's your pick? Uh, My pick is 2014 film called Girlhood. Um, This is directed by Selena Siema, who recently did Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm. Um, This was her film she did before this one, so she kind of had like a five-year break. Mm. Um, Girlhood was also on my top ten in 2014. I think it was like number six that year. And... um, about a girl in like Paris suburbs who kind of joins a gang and gets into a little trouble in her angsty late teenage years. Cool. All uh, right. Excited. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, my pick is um, it's called uh, La Samurai. Uh, it came oh, out in '67. Yeah. It's a Jean-Pierre Melville film, so it's a French film. Um, I watched this as part of a noir like anthology project month or whatever I was doing, and it was like I turned it on, and it was just like immediately I was just like, "Oh man, I I just love this movie immediately." Just the aesthetics. You just I don't know if that ever happens to you guys, but you turn on a movie and you're just like, "This movie is speaking to all of my aesthetics." Like it's just mm-hmm. it's just pleasing to me. So. Um, yeah, uh, Le Samurai is uh, my choice. So nice. um, I've heard so much about this movie. 
feel like I've yeah, so many like uh, YouTubers and stuff when I watch like different breakdowns of different movies I like this movie comes up a lot totally it's like inspiration. it definitely it definitely has a lot of influence of movies that came before it too like yeah uh, this gun for hire I, I watched that after I watched the samurai and was like ah okay apartment dress code okay you know but I feel like this movie I feel like drive was maybe compared to this movie a lot yeah that would make sense to me for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. So, um, awesome. with that, really with that it. yeah, this will be fun. Um, uh, yeah, this will be great. Uh, really excited about, um, about the next few weeks watching these movies. This will be real fun. And, uh, we'll check back with you guys, uh, in June. Uh, and with that, uh, you know, peace out everybody, peace and love and, uh, enjoy some good movies out there. Bye. 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 Bye.